So let's take our Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And I had other plans. You know, I had my calendar out. This week I'll preach this, and this week I'll preach that, and that week I'll preach that. And um, God's interrupted those plans quite a few times in the last month, and he just did it again this week. I was reading this chapter, and it just grabbed hold of me and wouldn't let go. And so we're going to take a look at this great chapter. If you look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah divides itself into two great sections. The first is chapters 1 through 39, and the second is chapters 40 through 66. Now, people smarter than I have said that Isaiah is a picture or a template of the Bible. Uh, It has how many chapters? 66 chapters. Your Bible has 66 books. Uh, It ends in heaven and New Jerusalem and so forth, and I've looked at some of that, and I believe some of that correlates. I'm I'm sure that's true. Uh, Those things don't surprise me when it comes to the Word of God, the different things that God weaves into it because it's His his eternal Word. But uh, the Messianic promises are throughout the book of Isaiah, but chapters 40 through 66 raise it up to another level, especially as it concerns the nation of Israel and God bringing comfort to his people. Uh, If we were to take the time this morning and had the time, we could look at the person of the Messiah in chapter 42. Uh, We could look at Christ the servant. We could look at the deity of the Messiah in chapter 44. We could look at the humiliation of the Messiah in chapter 53, and we've preached on that many times on our suffering Savior in Isaiah 53. We could look at the substitutionary death of the Messiah in the same chapter, and then we could see the reign of the Messiah of Israel and the King of the earth in his kingdom on earth in chapters 59 and 60. But uh, what we're going to look at here is we're going to look at this chapter this morning and what, what we see as we go through chapter 40 all the way up to chapter 66, particular, particularly all those chapters in the 40s, from 40 to 49, we see much of the personality of God, if I can use that word. Um, we, we see what God likes and we see what God doesn't like. We see how God responds when he is challenged, and in particular, he is challenged by his own people Israel with the issue of idolatry, the issue of idolatry. Now, the the best way I I can explain to you how God probably feels about idolatry, and that's the word I have to use, probably, uh, because I, I don't understand everything that's, that's going on in his, his heart and mind. It's infinite. But, uh, it's, it's likened by James to adultery. It's likened to, by James to the feeling you would have if your spouse stepped out on you. And uh, God says much about this with his people. Uh, keep your hand here and just flip over to chapter 41, if you would. Chapter 41, and look at verse 21. Uh, just a couple little things about the personality of God. There's much in these nine chapters, ten chapters in, in the 40s. But starting in verse 21, he says, Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons. 
saith the king of Jacob. He's issuing a challenge here. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show us the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught, an abomination is he that chooseth you. Uh, God says over and over again to his people and then challenges these idols. And by the way, the reason he's challenging these idols is not that he thinks that something made out of stone or wood can hear him, but you got to understand that these idols, and uh, somebody like Brother Dennis Wells could explain this, coming from Papua New Guinea, have demon spirits connected to them. They really do. Uh, idolatry is that way. Demon spirits will connect themselves to certain idols and behave in certain ways to give a sort of sense of animation and life to something that's completely dead. But it's evil. And God takes on these, these powers head on. And, and, and you'll notice the way he challenges them. He, he basically says, hey, uh, if you're a god, do something. If you're a god, prophesy. Tell us what's going to happen. Uh, by the way, do you realize how unique your Bible is because it has prophecy in it? I mean, forget it with the Book of Mormon. Forget it with the Baha'u'llahs. Uh, for, forget it with all the other so-called holy books, the, uh, the Koran. You have prophecy in, in, in this book, God's Word, that shows that this is a God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He knows what's going to happen because he's already there. Because he is God. But you see something of his personality, the way he challenges them, the way he mocks them, the way he tries to reason with Israel. In, in, in one portion of Scripture, he says, look, a, a guy cuts down a tree, and with part of it, he builds a fire to keep himself warm, and with part of it, he cooks a meal, and with part of it, he fashions a God and bows down to it and says, deliver me. Basically, God's saying, what's wrong with this picture? Don't you get it? You burned part of it to keep warm. You burned part of it to cook your food. And now you're going to fall down and worship it? But thus is the deception of idolatry, amen? You say, whoa, how foolish. We're so more advanced, we would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> We got a whole nation full of people that have neck problems because they're walking around like this and bumping into things because they can't get their eyes off of this thing. It's called idolatry. Money, okay? Some people, you know, the next million dollars will fix everything. They've got 12, but they need 13. Uh, hello? If 12 million doesn't do it, 13 isn't, Okay? idolatry it's all the same thing it's 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 a blinding sin 
And God tries to reason with his people in that way. Look at chapter 43. Look at chapter 43. And uh, he's, he's reasoning with his people again. He says, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, since thou wast precious in my sight, and thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee, therefore... Uh, will I give men for thee and people for thy life? Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. As he reasons with his people... To not be afraid, even though they're a staggering minority, a, a tiny nation among their enemies, even to this day. He says, I'm going to call from the north and the south and the east and the west, and I'm going to gather you back into your land. And folks, you could just make application here and just put yourself right in this here, folks. And uh, he says, fear not, for I am with the owl. And I will do all those things in your behalf. Why do we fear as Christians? You know, when you look at who God is and how he feels about us, it doesn't make any sense that we would have any fear except the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. So let's look at this chapter. Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably. To Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Father, help us now in the moments we have together here. Thank you that we could sing these sweet songs of Zion together. We could fellowship. We could laugh. We could share prayer burdens here. Uh, Father, uh, we pray for your blessing on your word. And Lord, uh, I realize you use people to bring your word forward, but uh, the one that can be the conduit can also be the interference and the obstruction. So, Lord, help me to get out of the way and only say those things which would bring you glory and honor, those things that are necessary, those things you want said. Please anoint your word to our hearts and that we might walk away from this place strengthened in your word and in our faith in you, Lord, and how great a God that you really are. And uh, Father, we pray for anybody that's lost, either here in this building or looking in online. Father, we pray that uh, they would receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Father, we pray for our folk that are traveling this weekend. Uh, Father, bring them back to us safely, we pray. 
For it's in Jesus Christ we pray, amen. This first portion of scripture, we recognize the work of John the Baptist identifying the Lord Jesus Christ in the early part of the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we get into verse 6, and the voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand <clears throat> forever. So what does he do here before he starts talking about uh, his greatness and his natural and moral attributes that are, are frankly beyond our understanding? He makes a comparison here and he talks about uh, the frailty of humanity by likening us unto grass. The beautiful grass that looks green and healthy until it's cut and then it begins to wither. Or it's green and healthy until it gets burnt by the sun or it gets deprived of water. That's the way we are. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to say I look good, but I look as good as I look because of a bunch of effort. And a lot of outside influences, like water coming from a shower, like uh, a barber giving me a haircut, what's left of my hair. Someone say, I overheard a, someone say to a lady uh, recently at, at, at a store, uh, someone said to the gal, you don't look 53. And she said to the other person, that's because I'm wearing clothes. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting answer. <laughs> yeah, if you don't think you're getting old, and you are, just take off all your clothes, do it in private, please. And stand in front of a mirror and get a good laugh, right? And don't suck it in. Don't suck it in, okay? All flesh is as grass. I mean, why am I standing here alive today? Uh, I put food in me in the last couple days, right? Just deprive me of that long enough and I won't be standing here. Deprive me of water for just more than three days and I'm in trouble, right? Throw us out in the cold. Throw us out in the heat. Get us out of a, a pleasant environment and see what happens. What are we? We're grass. We're grass. Two of the brethren were talking here during handshaking and talking about getting older. And the question comes up, how did that happen? I didn't notice. It just, it just happened. All flesh is grass. Aren't you glad you're getting a new body someday? Folks, we're going to live for eternity. We can't do it in these bodies. God's got to give us new glorified resurrection bodies. So he goes on and he says here, he says in, in verse 9, O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. And his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven 
with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Wow. Measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Just take one of the oceans. One of them. All of them in his hand. That's how big God is. That's how big God is. Uh, one of our favorite places to go to vacation is the Oregon coast. We usually stay north, uh, close to Cannon Beach. And, and, you, and you just sit there and you watch that water come in and you watch it go out and you watch all those waves and as far as the eye can see and you realize you're, you're not even looking at a sliver of the Pacific Ocean. Not even a sliver. And you're just looking at what's on top, what's not down below. And God, God just looks at all of it like that. That's how insignificant it is compared to who he is and how great he is and how, how, how incredible he is. Look at verse 13. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord or, or being his counselor hath, hath taught him. Has God ever asked advice of anybody? Now, the only kind of person that doesn't ask advice is a fool. That's because we're limited in our understanding and our knowledge. But has God ever asked advice of anybody? Uh, this verse suggests that he didn't. He hasn't. He won't. Or being his counselor hath taught him. Uh, with whom took he counsel, verse 14, and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and, and showed to him the way of understanding. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about Psalm chapter 2 and the heathen rage. And they imagine a vain thing. And they said, let us cast away uh, his cords and, our, and his bands from us. I mean, it's got as bad as his transgenderism. I think any, anybody that, any, any parent, any, any doctor, uh, any teacher that recommends it, or any, any adult that fools around with a minor and all this trans business and this mutilation and this hormone nonsense, they ought to be put in prison. How insane have we gotten? How, how what madness. Hey, a kid can't vote till they're what? 18? That right? Armed services at what age? Uh, buy a pack of cigarettes? 21. Drink alcohol? But at 10, a girl can decide she's a boy. And they'll fast track them through. Hey, who made them male and female? God did. Who's trying to deny these things? Satan. And man is saying, look what we're doing. We're progressing. We're getting rid of all these old stodgy norms. Boys act like boys because they're taught to be 
boys. No, boys act like boys because they're boys. Okay? You take a little boy and you put some play guns over here and you put some dolls over here and give him his choice. I guarantee I know where he's going. And if he grabs one of the dolls, it's only to shoot it. Because <laughs> he needs a victim. Okay? You take a little girl and do the same thing, and do the same thing, she's going to grab a, you know, a mock AK-47 and start cuddling it. She's going to grab one of those dolls and start nurturing. That's because that's how God made her. And leave her alone. And let her do that. These feminist idiots. These woke fools. And you know what God's doing in Psalm 2? We found out what God's doing. He's laughing at him. He's laughing at him. That's why I say God's people need to quit worrying as much as they worry. Okay? Stand up against what's wrong. But understand something. In the end, God will have his way. He's laughing at him. He's saying, you fools. You can't do that. And they can't. And get away with it. How great is our God? Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. And are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Now, I'm not usually a prop preacher, but I got a couple props today, okay? And by the way, I'll just let you a little secret. Anybody that's a prop preacher that always has to have props is insecure, and he wants you to look at the prop, okay? So here's a prop. Here's a bucket. And, and the verse says here, Behold, all the nations are as a drop of a bucket. Now, I can't just get one drop out of here, but I'm just going to pour a tiny little bit. And that little tiny bit of wet that doesn't even get the whole bottom wet, less than that is how God looks at all the nations. Do you think God's worried today? If you're worrying about something that only he should worry about, and he's not worried about it, then can I suggest you to quit worrying? <laughs> Who's going to win in November? Uh, get out and vote. Pray about it. And let him worry about it. You got other things on your plate. Look at the verse. Uh, Count it as the small dust of the balance. Now, I had to mess around on my driveway to get today to get some small dust. And I think I got some small dust. It's real powdery. And it's real small. But I got a couple little tiny rocks in here, so they don't really count. So I got, I got some small dust. There it is. Small dust. Small dust. And are counted, all these nations are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. That's your God this morning. 
Hey, how did the chapter start? Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. 7.9 billion people now. 195 nations. And that's all the more significant they are in quantity as far as God's concerned. And you know what he does? He focuses in on his people. Is that an amazing God or what? Keep your hand here for a second. Uh, go to Psalm 147. Psalm 147. Psalm 147, verse 3. Uh, start, start, at verse, start at verse 2. Uh, the Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. Okay, so he's got his eye on his scattered people. And he made a promise to an old man a long time ago named Abraham. And he plans on keeping it, by the way. And look at verse 3. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. How, do, how does he pay attention to all the broken hearts that cry out to him? How does he do that? A lady one time, she was serious. This is almost comical, but she told a preacher friend of mine one time, she said, I, I always try to pray between two and four in the morning. And he asked why. And she said, because I figure God isn't as busy then. <laughs> okay. How does God do that? How does God pay attention to me where I feel like I'm the only one he's talking to right now? How does he do that? Because some of you at the very same time had the same impression, didn't you? But you were wrong because he was focused on me. <laughs> How does he do that? He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Verse 3. Verse 4. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Huh. He condescends to us. He listens to our prayers. And he numbers and names all the stars. They, they got this deal where you can buy your own star. You ever see that? They'll name it after you or whatever you want to name it or whatever. Too late. <laughs> it's already been done. <coughs> Astronomical. You, you can't even measure space in miles or kilometers. It doesn't work. You have to go with light years. You say, what's a light year? It's the distance that light travels at the rate of 186,000 miles per second in a year. And there's suns and solar systems and galaxies all over the place that are gazillions of light years away. And he, and he can tell you the number of the stars. And he calls them all by their names. Look at verse 5. Great is our God and of great power. <laughs> it almost seems like an understatement in light of what we just saw. His understanding is what? Infinite. Don't ever tell God you don't understand. <laughs> he does. He does. What a great God we serve. Isaiah 40, Lebanon, verse 
16 is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. To whom will you then uh, liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh, uh, okay, hey, we're going to make a really high quality God here. We're using cedar wood. It won't rot. Your God is pine minus cedar. So much better than yours. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain that spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. By the way, God told man a long time before he understood it scientifically that the earth is round. Huh? It is, by the way. And if you're a flat earther, don't bother me after the service. <laughs> Seek professional help. <laughs> okay? Because after the service, I have some fellowshipping to do and some lunch to eat. I don't want to argue with you about something that's obvious. But notice it says, it stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain. So, this is my last prop, I promise. Okay? It's a little curtain. My wife says it's a curtain. I don't know what it is. It just looks like a piece of cloth to me, but it's a, it's a, it's a curtain. Yeah, it's got a thing here where you can put curtain around, so it's a curtain. And so all these light years, all these astronomical distances that we can't even comprehend, my wingspan is almost just about right for this. That's what God does with it. He spreads it out. He folds it up, the Bible says, as a vesture. One of these days, he's going to redo the heavens and the earth, and he's going to fold up the old one and make a new one. That's your God this morning. That's your God. Verse 23, show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught, an abomination is he that chooseth you. Again, going back to these idols. You learn something about God in Isaiah. He, 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 he doesn't like that illegitimate competition that idolatry brings in, that unfaithfulness, that spiritual adultery. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun shall he call upon my name, and he shall come upon princes as upon mortar, and as the potter treadeth clay. Who hath declared from the beginning that we may know, and before time that we may say he is righteous. Yea, there is none that showeth. Yea, there is none that declareth. Yea, there is none that heareth your words. So once again, God is bringing forth the proof of prophecy. The proof of prophecy. Can I encourage you as Christians to be a zealous witness for Jesus Christ in these days? And more so in these days? 
no matter whether there's a red wave in November or who wins the election in 24. Lost people are looking around and they're seeing a world coming apart at the seams. And you, and, and you, know, what, you know what should be following close behind? Us with a Bible saying, hey, God said it was going to be like this. And by the way, let me tell you about my Savior, Jesus Christ, who's in that same Bible that prophesied all these very same things. Uh, verse uh, 26, who hath declared from the beginning that we may know and before time that we may say he is righteous. Yea, there is none that showeth. Yea, there is none that declareth. Yea, there is none that heareth your words. The first uh, shall say to Zion, behold them. And I will give to Jerusalem one that bringeth good tidings for behold. Uh, and there was, for I beheld and there was no man even among them. And there was no counselor that when I asked of them could answer a word. Behold, they are all vanity. Well, you know what? That's good too. <laughs> How did that chapter become the same as the one I was reading? All flesh is as grass. Wow. Well, let's go back to the chapter we were on. Verse 23, chapter 40. That bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. You know, the older I get and the longer I go on as a Christian and the more I observe, the more impressed I am with the witness of creation. And now it's, it's, it's easy for me to understand why the devil attacked creation with the theory, the false theory, the joke, the Swiss cheese of evolution. I'm sorry. I don't let, I don't let anybody mock my intelligence for, for, for believing in creation. I rather laugh at their foolishness for even entertaining the idea of evolution. Just some of, some of the complexities of the human body, some of the complexities in nature, and to imagine that any of that happened by accident is pure foolishness. And God argues by virtue of creation, and he says, lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things. Folks, that's your God this morning. What's your problem? What's your problem that you don't think can be solved What's your impossibility? Take it to God in prayer. This is the God that made everything. The consternations is small dust. Holds, holds the waters in his hand. That stretches out uh, the stars in the universe and, uh, like a curtain. 
and will fold it up someday and make a new one. Verse 27, why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Have you ever said, Lord, I'm too weak for that? I'm too weak. I can't do that. I can't do that. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. He gives power to the faint. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. What God has for you in life, what God has for you in service, what God has for you in faith, what God has for you in duty, he will supply the strength. He will supply the stamina. He will supply the energy. He will supply the power because it's not by our might. It's not by our strength. It's not by our energy. It's not by our power, but by his but by his. Parent, the task seems daunting, but your God is equal and beyond the task. Look to him. Look to him. Christian fighting against temptation, fighting against uh, habitual sin, besetting sin, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. But will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. He's equal to and beyond the task. He will supply your needs. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He will give you wisdom for service. He will give you strength to pray. He will give you courage to be a witness for him. And we could go on and on. He'll give you strength to get through that trial, through that health problem, to that relationship disappointment. Whatever it is you got on your plate, God encourages you to come to him in prayer with it. And this is the same God, the same God that takes the whole universe that we can't even measure and just goes like that. And he's going to say someday, he's going to go, Gabriel, time to remodel this. So Peter tells us, the elements will burn up with a fervent heat. You know what the book of Hebrews says? Right now, everything is held together by the word of his power. 
You know, they got fooling around with fission and fusion back in the 40s, and uh, they figured out how to blow us all up to smithereens. Leave it to science, huh? Or as Por Porky Pig said one time, I saw a bumper sticker that had Porky Pig on there and had a mushroom cloud that said, da -da 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 -da, that's all, folks. <laughs> And, you know, they get fooling around with the atoms, and you got, you got uh, fission, uh, that's uranium blown out that way, and you got fusion, that's plutonium imploding that way, and all those other things. And they got the neutrons and the electrons and the protons and the positive and the negative charges and everything spinning around and all this other stuff, but they still haven't figured out what it is that the force is that just keeps it all from flying apart. <laughs> book of Hebrews says it's Jesus Christ told all the atoms to stick together and stay in their place. But one of these days, he's going to say, go, <laughs> or something like that. And the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Then he's going to remake the whole thing. And we'll be standing there watching when he does, folks. Won't that be something? I submit to you this morning, Christian, that's your God. Let's go out from this place and tell somebody about him. Amen? Let's do it. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and pray especially for someone who doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior. Lord, they're uh, still under uh, a condemnation for breaking your holy law, sinning against you, a holy God. And uh, they know, Lord, uh, that they're in trouble somehow, uh, morally, spiritually, that their end is not going to be good. And, Father, that can all change. That can all change, Lord, if they'll receive your Son, who died on the cross for their sins and rose again the third day, and sits at your right hand to make intercession for them. May they bow their hearts and their minds in prayer and in repentance and admit their need and trust him as their only personal Savior. Lord, we pray for your people here this morning. Help us understand just a little bit better than we did when we came in here this morning just how great you are. And Father, whatever it is that we got on our plate, whatever it is that seems so impossible... Whatever it is that's causing us to want to quit, give up, throw in the towel, jump off the cliff, or just plain old be discouraged, Lord, it's not worth it. You're bigger. You're equal to the task, and you're beyond it. Help us, Lord, to know the power of prayer. You said unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, that resurrection power. Help us to tap into it this morning and going forward from here, Lord. Help us to tell a lost and dying world, a confused world, a world that's coming apart at the seams. That has said, let us cast their cords away from us and break their bands asunder. Help us to know, Father, that it's all under control with you. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He shall have them in derision. Father, may we not be afraid and fear and tremble before the wicked. But may we boldly proclaim a resurrected Jesus Christ, a Savior, Lord, a Savior. 
who is so great that he's all these things we talked about this morning and so much more. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 28. Number 28, How Great Thou Art.
pray. Dear Lord God, we come before you today thanking you because you are great. And it's even hard for our minds to understand and comprehend how great thou art. And Lord, how that you, being God Almighty, would be willing to send your son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And Lord, how Jesus Christ was willing to die on the cross. And Lord, you, t you tell us in your word in John chapter 10 that no one could take your life, but you laid it down for us. And we thank you for that. And in the Bible, we see how, wow, how you even look at man and consider man when really we're nothing. And Lord, you're everything. And we thank you, Lord, for giving your life for us. And how the Bible says in John chapter 15 that a friend lays down his life for his friends. And we thank you for doing that for us, Lord. And Lord, just help us to remember day by day that you are great and that we're nothing. And Lord, just thank you so much for desiring to create man because you want to have a friendship with man. And Lord, just help us remember that and remember to continue for us to remember to continue to cultivate our relationship and our friendship with God. And what an awesome thing that is, and what a privilege that we can call you our friend. And Lord, I pray that you'll bless us today and use us for your honor and glory. Help us to honor and glorify you. And to go work in the vineyard today and do that every day. And Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. 